I love how talkative you all are, and you really enjoy one another, which is good. That's a good thing in a church body, isn't it, that we enjoy being together. Uh, we are continuing on in our sermon series that we're going over on Blessed. It's the Attentional Evangelism uh, Initiative that the Covenant has worked up. Uh, and I like what I'm seeing in this uh, because it's far less of a program. If you memorize these things, you can engage in a conversation with somebody in evangelism, and then you're going to do X, Y, and Z will be the results. Rather, it's an, an a- acronym. Uh, I almost got an anachronism, which it would not be. It's an acronym. Uh, and, of course, each letter then stands for something. Today, we're going to start with the B of blessed, which is begin with prayer. A very good place to start, as it turns out. Uh, and let's just remind ourselves that of what a blessing is. It's an expression of goodness for another. Now, my fellow brother and sister introverts out there, of which we are many, this is not a thought of good for someone else. This is not thoughts and prayers at this point. It might be the prayer part. It's not the thought part. Sometimes I know I can do this. I think something and I think that was so good. Why did it even need to come out of my mouth then? I thought it was satisfying, right? This is an expression of good. It's got to come out of you in some way. Somebody else has to experience it in some way or you have to deliver it in some way, whether it's prayer, word of encouragement, something you do for somebody else, that sort of thing. Um, And I was talking to Stephanie this week about uh, blessing and feeling blessed. I've almost been here for four years as your pastor, and I feel blessed. I wake up every morning wanting to do what I do. I feel called to it. I feel called to this place. So that's not a problem. But especially the last few months, we've been tremendously encouraged by you all and blessed, which just makes the job that much more fun. We are encouraged. So I say thank you, first of all. But I use that as an example that when you bless somebody else, there's an effect that happens there. They're encouraged. They feel good. They want to they, they do more, basically, because you bless them. So right now, let's pray that God would bless us with his good news, that we would recognize that blessing, and then let's move forward, because we're talking about prayer today. It would seem silly to not start with that. Father, we pray that we would recognize your blessing in our lives that we would recognize how blessed we are and that we would want to bless others because of it, that we would not stop blessing others because you have been so generous, lavishing your love and blessing and grace on us. Let us hear your word clearly this morning and deliver that good news to all those we encounter. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, today, prayer. That's what we're talking about. Begin with prayer. Uh, That's the B in bless. Um, I don't know if you've had these conversations with people in our spiritual culture that we live in where there is a great interest in spirituality. People will talk about praying to a higher power. Now, that's a good first step, maybe, in acknowledging that there's something outside of ourselves, a higher power, whether it be nature or something else. But we believe in this place that God is personal, not simply a higher power. You have to ask the question, okay, if you believe in a higher power, is it personal or impersonal? That's an important distinction to recognize. Some worldviews, let's say Hinduism, for instance, is a great example where they believe there's a power, but it's an impersonal power that's outside of ourselves. Or some people might equate that with nature. Nature is an impersonal power outside of ourselves. But if something is impersonal, It doesn't actually have self-knowledge. It doesn't even know it exists. Thus, it can't actually act intentionally. 
It just functions on its own fuel, if you will. If something is personal, as we believe God is, God is aware that God exists. God is aware of who God is, and God can intentionally create, as God has done, and care for his creation, and love his creation, as his creation, knowingly, intentionally, which is the God that we serve and worship. A God who's personal and can be known and wants to know you. We read this really famously, perhaps, in Psalm 139.1. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. And, and here's the beautiful thing. Here's some good news to begin with. We worship a God who wants to communicate with us. Isn't that good news this morning? We worship a God who actually wants to communicate with us. And the question becomes, are we taking him up on that offer? And that's why we're talking about prayer. We'll get it to evangelism in a moment, but let's just talk about prayer itself as we get there. One of, one of my favorite books on prayer is a book by a monk. Those of you that know me are not surprised at this point. He just passed away in 2006, so he was a modern-day monk in Egypt, Matthew the Poor. He wrote a book called Orthodox Prayer Life. Very fine work on prayer of his 50 years of praying and scripture that goes along with that. It's very thoughtful and thought-provoking. But he talks about really at at sort of garden-level, entry-level prayer. What are the things that prevent us from entering into prayer, into that communication with God. One is we don't know how. I mean, it seems pretty straightforward. We just don't know how to pray. Um, and, And perhaps, if that's you, by the way, this morning, the nice thing is God says, there's a help out there. There's a system that's called the Holy Spirit. Call on the Holy Spirit and say, I don't even know how to pray. Help me learn how to pray. Start there. But some of us just don't know how to pray. And he says one of the the things about it is we get distracted in prayer. So we sit down and we're trying to be quiet and all of a sudden squirrel, right? Something happens and we get distracted. And he says the distractions become more important than God in those moments. A second thing that can happen, and it can be related, is we have inconsistency in timing. We just don't do it regularly. So we're not in the pattern of praying. Thus, we don't learn how to pray, so we don't know how to pray. Those things can affect us in our prayer life. But I think one of the most uh, noticeable, probably for a lot of us, is we ask the question, what does prayer actually do? The efficacy question. What does prayer actually accomplish? But perhaps we can put that in human relationship terms. Because if prayer is really just communication with God, and it's two-way communication with God, then couldn't I ask a similar question? What good will a conversation with my wife do? It's kind of interesting to ask that all of a sudden, isn't it? What good will a conversation with God do? What, what good will a conversation with my wife do? Totally different all of a sudden. A lot of us pray in such a way that we might thank God. Uh, we might uh, even say words of praise to God. And then we have a list of things that we want from God. Translate that to a human relationship like mine with my wife. Honey, I I think that you've done a great job of getting the kids ready this morning. You look beautiful. Here are six things I want you to do. Translate this, right, to human relationships. This is what we do with God. What good will prayer do? Well, perhaps we need to think of it more in relational terms rather than just a to-do list. Because that's what prayer is. It's a relationship with God that we're building, not simply requests. Once we think of it that way, we can still ask that question, but we're going to come around it in a much different way. I build relationship with my wife with every conversation we have. 
and it's a two-way street, and it's not just a list of requests, that's going to be a pretty bad relationship after a while. Continuing with this fellow monk, Matthew the Poor, uh, he says, We ask God for temporal things, like things for now, because we have fallen from our original spiritual status in which we lacked nothing. Although this is alien to the original concept of prayer, God in his graciousness has come down to our level and promised to listen to our prayers when we bring him our needs and complaints, which he knows only too well. Thus he assures us that he will never abandon us for our sins and that our tribulations are a matter of concern to him. The original intent, the plan from the beginning, from the Garden of Eden, was that we would be able to be in communion with God, undisturbed by sin, undisturbed by selfishness. And yet sin and selfishness block us in that relationship. That's the problem. And God says, I'm not going to abandon you to that. I want to fix the problem, and I want to be in communication with you. Further, I want to be in communion with you. And that's really what prayer is. It's when we commune with God. When we get to have full access, connected with our Creator. That's a glorious thing, isn't it? That's not just a list of requests all of a sudden. That's something far deeper. Something far better. I referenced this book last week. I once was lost. Uh, Very good book on on evangelism in... uh, sort of a post-modern world that we live in. And one of the authors, Don Everts, references a very short story that I really thought useful for where we go next as we look at our scriptures from Luke. He says this. uh, He says, When I was working on my first book, Jesus with Dirty Feet, a non-Christian friend of mine asked to read the manuscript. I gave it to him, and while while it was lying on his coffee table, one of his roommates picked it up and read it. This guy who picked it up looked about as as far from faith as you can imagine. Long ago, he had dispensed with all religions, especially Christianity, and he had a vibrant life as a militant vegan. He says, yes, we have militant vegans in Boulder, Colorado. How could someone be more cynical, more disinterested in Christianity? But he read the manuscript and had only one question for my friend. Did Don get in trouble for writing this? It turned out that the Jesus he read about was so interesting, so provocative, so counter-cultural, that he assumed it must have been made up. He assumed Christians everywhere would be outraged that I had changed Jesus in this way. The thing is, that manuscript was just full of simple stories from the Gospels. It strikes me as interesting that sometimes when we come to big problems and big issues, life, sometimes we forget to look at the main source of information that will help us figure out those big issues. How do we pray? And we think, I've got to sit in a quiet room and do it this way and that way. Why don't we look at how Jesus prayed? We might learn something. So I want to look at two things that Jesus did in, uh, in two examples of Jesus praying and make some heads or tails of that. Now, the book, the Gospel of Luke, is one that actually focuses on Jesus' prayer life. It points out numerous times where Jesus went and prayed. You can see scriptures on the screen, and I'll point out the slides are always available online after the sermons are preached. So if you're having trouble writing those down or seeing them, they'll be there. Go to the media page. You'll find them. But if you look at scriptures, uh, these are 
entry points where we see Jesus praying and praying in different ways and in different settings, we discover a few things. One, Jesus committed time to prayer regularly. This was a habit, a discipline that he had. Secondly, he did it by himself sometimes, which is how we think of prayer quite often, but often he took people with him, Peter, James, and John, or he had all the disciples. In fact, when we read about the Lord's Prayer, he's been praying, and his disciples are right there, and then they ask the question, Lord, teach us to pray. He took them with him to go do his prayer time. And he tends to pray certainly before some of his biggest moments that occurred in his life. And we'll look at one of those in just a second. If you go to Luke twenty-two forty-two, it'll come up on the screen. If you're following along, you can find it. We see one of those big moments. It's when Jesus is on the Mount of Olives. It's before he gets arrested. He tells his disciples, he says, pray that you won't fall into temptation. This is a difficult prayer. It's an important prayer for them. But then he says this. He goes just a little bit away from them. A stone's throw, it says. And it says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And it says after that, that an angel comes and attends him, but his stress level is so high that he sweats as drops of blood. So intense is this moment. So much does he know what's going to happen. Father, if it's possible... Take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Quite a prayer. And if you notice, it doesn't then say Jesus and me or God immediately took that pain and stress away from him. No, he sent an angel. There was comfort. There was somebody to come around in that moment, but he didn't just pull the pain and stress away. He knew God's presence was with him. He's in communion with God in that instance. Now, I'm not going to compare this next story at all to the pain of Jesus. This is one of me just a couple weeks ago. But I want to look at this in practical terms of when we call upon God and we're talking about uh, uh, being really prayer is being united with the heart of God, essentially. That's what we're trying to do in communion with God, united with God's heart. God, if it's your will, Jesus says, not mine, yours, to unite with God's heart, that's what we're doing in prayer. It was Palm Sunday, so just a few weeks ago. Uh, we had done our service here. I went home. I was relaxing. Later that afternoon, I started to get the muscle weakness and soreness that comes with getting sick. Many of you know the feeling, I'm sure. And I thought, this is the worst week possible for this to happen because I have Good Friday and Easter coming up, one of my favorite weeks of the year to do and to minister. But I thought, I don't want to get sick, but I can feel it. And I wake up Monday morning, and I feel it. I've got a headache. I'm nauseous. I'm moving super sluggishly. I get the kids off to school, I come into work, and it's, it's one of those days where you're working through molasses, you know, I mean, it's just not going. Everything you do just feels like you didn't accomplish a thing, your brain's not working, your body hurts, and finally by four o'clock, I said, I'm tossing in the towel, I'm going home, I, I'm, I'm totally worthless here. And so uh, I was encouraged when I got home, take a warm shower, that'll probably help. So I decided to do that, and I tend to pray in the shower, so I start praying when I get in the shower. And I remember praying, God, I know that you can take the pain and the sickness away. And so I pray that you would either heal me or help me learn through the pain. And immediately, I mean, without a a, a second between the end of that prayer, God's word was, my grace is sufficient for you. Can I tell you how much worry was lifted off me in that moment and anxiety? Because at that moment, I realized... 
I don't have to manufacture a message. Sometimes we think that with a, a sermon or what we have to do. I, I'm not manufacturing this thing. I'm proclaiming the word. I'm proclaiming the good news. The work's already done. God is with me in this process. And for goodness sakes, I was so relaxed that week. I was still sick. But I was so relaxed this week, that week, praying into and living through the text, rather than being anxious to just get it done. Pain isn't necessarily removed, but God is with you. And we're communing, we're trying to unite with the heart of God, and one of the things that we discover in prayer is that prayer is a recognition of our dependence on God. We so badly want to do it ourselves, but God says, you're dependent on me. Let me show you how. Let me walk with you. The other passage of scripture I wanted to look at this morning was from uh, Luke 6, 12 through 16, which is one of those, and I know one of our adult Sunday school classes looked at it this morning and wondered why are we looking at this this morning. Uh, it is one that we usually skip over pretty fast. It says, one of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. So here we have insight into Jesus' prayer life. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Jesus clearly goes out to pray before one of these big decisions where he designates them from simply students, disciples, to appointed messengers, apostles. We, we can tell from other parts of the, the Gospels that Jesus had many people that followed him. He was supported by uh, a number of women who were his disciples. He sends out the 72 at one point, and at another point he has many disciples leave him, but it's clearly not the 12 that leave him. He had other people following him that were students in the same way, but he brought in 12 close, and he brought in three even closer. We see that as, as his model of leadership. So he designates these people appointed messengers. And one of the very interesting things, not told to us here in Luke, but told to us in John, is that Jesus, from the beginning, when he picks these people, knew that knew not just that one of them would betray him, but who would betray him. I mean, think of the amount of prayer and communion you have to have in uniting with the heart of God to pick somebody as one of these appointed messengers who you know is going to betray you. Clearly, he had to commit this to prayer and be united with the heart of God to do that. Prayer, I believe, and we can see this in incidents like this, it reminds us of God's mission on us. We're doing God's work. We're not making this up as we go along. We're responding to God's work. The other thing about this that we can pick out from this is that this is a continuation of what was going on in the Old Testament already, evidenced in the life and ministry of Jesus and in where this would go. In the Old Testament, we read the passage of Genesis 12 last week where Abraham, uh, the covenant is initiated with Abraham, and he's told, you're going to be a blessing. Your descendants are going to be a blessing to all the people of the earth. And that forms out in the 12 tribes of Israel and how that's supposed to work out. Jesus comes as part of that outworking and that testimony to really bring them back into mission. This is supposed to go out from Israel, not just stay within the people. You're supposed to be taking the message out. Jesus is reminding them and initiating them for that further. And so he pulls in 12 people that are the appointed messengers. That should not be lost on us as a significant number. It's a continuation of God's work and God's covenant and God's promise. 
So we're reminded in prayer that we're on God's mission, not our own. But secondly, we're reminded it refreshes us to God's faithfulness when we are united with God's heart in prayer. God is faithful. He won't give up on his covenant promises. Jesus prepares for that moment to continue that ministry. That affects even you and I today. Ultimately, prayer is communion with God. That's what we're bringing this down to, and we're parsing this out in different ways. We're connected with our Creator in prayer. Here's one other quote. This isn't from, I hope you're not disappointed. It's from a Russian Orthodox priest of the uh, 1800s, so it's close enough. He says this, and you might disagree with the first line. You can talk to me later, but the second line is the important one. He says, Sometimes, during a long-continued prayer, only a few minutes are really pleasing to God. Only a few minutes constitute true prayer and true service to God. The chief thing in prayer is the nearness of the heart to God, as proved by the sweetness of God's presence in the soul. It's that nearness to God that we're looking for, the communion with God in prayer. We're reminded of so many things. We're refreshed in prayer. We're brought back to mission. We're reminded of our dependence on God in prayer, but ultimately it's because we're united with God's heart, connected to God and in communion with God in relationship. That's what we're seeking. And it does a lot for us when that happens. I was really heartened this last week. Stephanie uh, found uh, the Compassion International uh, Compassion Experience was in Omaha this last week. And so she took our oldest, Sophie, who's 10 up there, uh, to go help. They volunteered. And you get to experience two different uh, lives of what it's like to live in extreme poverty and then what we can do about that. And so they got shirts and they got to help out. And it, one of these things, when you're a parent and you get to do service with a kid or a youth worker and you get to do service with a kid or any of these things, boy, they're like sponges after you do service. They are ready to learn and listen because they've been in an experience where they, they've had a lot of things they've taken for granted come to the front and they have to think about it. A lot of things they've taken for granted. So they had a great experience together where they were connected in service together. I love that Sophie came back and she said, you know what? I got to do something that mattered. It wasn't just a little kid thing. It was like an adult thing I got to do. And they were united in service together. And the relationship draws closer, just like all of our relationships do. When we get to go through those experiences with people, we're drawn closer together. That's what we're seeking with God, to be drawn closer as we do His work and His will. We draw closer in communion with Him. And prayer reminds us then that we're responding to that work. That we're responding to God's work. And it's already in progress. You and I didn't, the faith didn't start when you or I came to know Jesus Christ and were saved. It was already going on. It's a moving walkway, already in process. God is already at work in your workplace, in your school, in your home, in your family, whether you realize it or not. When Jesus sends out the 72, he doesn't say, go out and till the ground and water the, put the plants down and water the seeds. He says, there's a harvest. Harvest it. The work is already in progress, and that's the case in our lives. There's already a work in progress, but one of our fears, if we start to connect this prayer to evangelism, one of our fears in evangelism is we feel like we have to do all the work, don't we? That's what we've come to believe. 
that we have to introduce somebody to the gospel, till the soil, plant the seed, watch it grow, and all do it in an hour and a half flight from here to Phoenix or something like that. Like, we've got to bring them to Christ in that short period of time. And if we don't, we didn't do evangelism. Let's cure ourselves of that right now. That's not all that it is. Now, the nice thing about bless is I think it moves us along so we're not just making a relationship, but it leads us to evangelism. Sometimes we can just leave it at the relationship, but let's not be fearful of this, that we need to do all the work. God's already working. I have a quote posted in my office from Lloyd Ogilvie. He says, people are more ready ready than we dare assume. And why not? The Holy Spirit is already at work. The Holy Spirit is already out there going ahead of us, working in the lives of those around us. The question is, how are we responding to that work? How are we seeing God at work in the lives of those around us? And furthermore, sometimes we get very business-oriented about evangelism. We're not just in the business of doing God's work. We're responding to God's work. Even this week, as I worked on this sermon, I had a lot of things on my plate to do, and I said, I'm going to be very efficient with my time. I'm going to sit down with the text, and boom, 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 I'm just going to plan it out. Well, I'm preaching on prayer, so I started with prayer, but then I thought further, I should probably pray more than I did already because I'm preaching on prayer. Rather than just trying to make it a task to accomplish, I prayed through the text. I prayed, I made it a much more prayerful, meditative way to move forward. And so I'm not just doing God's business, I'm saying, how am I entering into the work you're already doing? How am I entering into this text in a way that we already can see and we can already engage in? We get worried, we get anxious, we set agendas, and sometimes we say, I'm just going to say a quick prayer so I can move on and do the work. And God says, maybe I want to commune with you. Maybe we ought to just sit down together and be in communion rather than just doing the work. Respond to the work. And, and here's the thing. We get worried, we get anxious, we set agendas, we have all these timetables and things that we have in life. If something is, is worth the time to spend mental energy on, even for a little bit, it's important enough to pray about It's important enough to take before God and say, okay, God, I want to sit in your presence with this. I want to hand over this worry, this agenda, all of this, and not just do the business quickly and get back to it, but really commune with you. So I am united with your heart. I know your will, and I can act accordingly, and I'm responding, not just doing your work. So if we're going to bless those around us with the good news of Jesus Christ, we need to begin with prayer. But our heart is united with God, and we can begin to see where the harvest already is. Sure, we might be called to till. We might be called to plant. But God's already at work in the lives of people. How are we responding to that? We're going to know when we're in communion with God more and more. We're going to be able to see those things better and better. Here are a couple of realities about prayer, and then I'll round this all out. And about blessing as well. You and I will be distracted in prayer. It just happens. We're human. We're going to be distracted in our prayer life. But one observation I've made about kids versus grown-ups, and I think I'm a grown-up now, uh, is that kids, they tend to move forward in their failures, I think, a lot better than sometimes we do as grown-ups. We get good at certain things. We know we're not good at certain things, so we stop doing those things we're not good at, and we just do the things that we're good at. You watch a kid learn to walk. And a kid starts, they're starting the process and they fall down. What do they do? They get up and do it again, right? 
They might go four steps, five steps. And the only thing that's going to stop them typically is if they hit something hard on the way down, which of course happens, but that doesn't always even stop them. Let's just face it. Sometimes they'll fall over and it's us that stops them because we go, <gasps> and then they're like, oh wait, should I cry? That was probably bad. I should probably cry. That's the person reacted. No, if we don't do that, what happens is they just get up and keep doing it. But sometimes we go to God in prayer and we say, I don't know how to do it, so I'm not going to try very hard. And then we don't do it. We don't set the time aside. If you haven't set the time aside, set the time aside to pray, to sit in communion with God. And we don't do those things. And so we say, it's too hard. I'm not going to do it. We should treat prayer like a kid learning to walk. When we fall over, we just get back up and keep at it. You only learn prayer by doing it. You can read all the books you want in the world. You won't learn it from those. You only learn by doing it. You're only going to get communion with God by sitting and planning the time and taking that time to sit in communion with God. The second thing is about being a blessing. We are going to get sidetracked sometimes in our attempts to be a blessing. Usually it's when we have ignored the first part of our prayer life because we forget about how good God is to us sometimes. Prayer is going to continue to renew that in us, of God's blessing on us. Our memories, let's face it, they're sometimes short. If anybody wants me to repeat that, our memories are sometimes short. And our attention spans are at least accused of being even shorter sometimes. But my fellow Netflix binge watchers out there, they're longer than you think. If we're interested in something, we'll devote the time to it. We begin with prayer if we're going to be a blessing. If we're going to start, then the first prayer of many we could have needs to be, Lord, how have I been blessed? Ask God that directly. If you don't know how to pray, start with that. Lord, how have I been blessed? Or if you want to put it in different terms, how am I nearsighted in blessing and recognizing the blessings that you've given me to your goodness? And the second thing we need to do then is seek continually this question, Lord, how will you use me to bless others? How am I going to respond to your goodness in the lives of those around me? We recognize we're dependent on God. We're on God's mission in this thing. It's service to God uh, as a blessing to others. That's got to be our goal. And it comes with communion with God. That's what we're seeking in prayer. Let's go to God right now, actually, in prayer, and ask these two questions and seek that communion. Father, unite our hearts with yours this morning, that we would love as you love. We know that seems unachievable, but, but with your Holy Spirit working in us, we can begin that process of loving those around us as you love us, of revealing your grace in powerful ways, of as we heard this morning, of just being like this rain that pours down and does more than simply the garden hose can do. It's your power working in us that goes well beyond our abilities. Father, remind us this morning of how we are blessed, of what your good news means in our lives. And Father, as we leave this place this morning, begin to answer the question for us, even in the smallest way, how can we be a blessing as we go out? How can we walk out the doors of this church and bless the city of Lincoln with your good news that people would come to know you and be blessed by you drawn into life eternal and the hope that we have pray this all in your name this morning Amen